0: Perhaps monasticism will also play an important role in restoring the whole Christian church to one faith, one flock for one shepherd who is our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. I think if we as copts, and I am speaking as a monk also, if there are any concerns we have with regards to reconciliation, It would be with regards to the monks of Mount Athos and some traditionalist groups within the Eastern Orthodox Church.
1: Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation, light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel.
0: Irini Parsi, peace be with you. In this episode, I wish to share with you a short paper that I presented on Tuesday, March 17, 1998 at St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological Seminary titled The Monastic Concerns Regarding Unity and Reconciliation of Traditions. So this paper was speaking about how monasticism can play an important role in the unity and reconciliation between the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox Churches. This took place during the annual Symposium on Eastern Oriental Orthodox Dialogue and was co-hosted by St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological Seminary and St. Nurses' Armenian Orthodox Seminary. While this paper is 22 years old, yet I believe it is still relevant in the dialogue regarding unity between the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox churches. Wherever in this presentation the masculine only is mentioned, it also applies to the feminine. I have also updated the language to reflect past tense where applicable. So just keep in mind that this paper is 22 years old. I would be interested also to hear your comments, so let us begin. I wish first of all to thank St. Vladimir and St. Nurse's Seminaries for their kind invitation for me to attend this symposium and to speak to you today. What are the Oriental monastic concerns regarding unity and reconciliation of traditions? I truly believe that this is a very important subject that perhaps has not been discussed very much so far in the dialogue between Eastern and Oriental Orthodox. And we need to know what the monastic tradition teaches us in this regard and what is its viewpoint with regards to unity. We need to remind ourselves of the aim of monasticism. Monasticism was meant to unite man or woman with God, man with his fellow man, and also man with nature. This was the ideal that the early fathers were aiming for and succeeded in achieving. It was St. Arsenius who said, strive with all your might to bring your interior activity into accord with God, and you will overcome exterior passions. He also said, if we seek God, he will show himself to us, and if we keep him, he will remain close to us. End of quote. Unity and reconciliation between man and God is what those early monastics sought. They also sought unity with their fellow men, Abba Isaac said, I have never allowed a thought against my brother who has grieved me to enter my cell. I have seen to it that no brother should return to his cell with a thought against me. Also, St. Anthony the Great said, Our life and our death is with our neighbor. If we gain our brother, we have gained God. But if we scandalize our brother, we have sinned against Christ. End of quote. We also see that these monastics were living in harmony with the nature that surrounded them. St. Paul the hermit had a crow bring him half a loaf of bread each day, and on the day that St. Anthony visited him, the crow brought them one whole loaf of bread. They also ate from whatever the nature around them provided. For example, dates. They also used the palm trees for their living to weave baskets to keep themselves busy and for these baskets to be sold in the cities to provide for their bread. It was a harmonious life indeed. Another important way that monasticism should be a way to unity is through prayer. Even though the monk leaves the world, its troubles and wars, yet he prays for peace. He prays for unity and for the healing of schism. It is the life of prayer without ceasing. As St. Paul tells us, to pray at all times. The power of prayer, especially by those who have consecrated their lives for it, definitely has the effect to solve many disputes. So then, the point I'm trying to make here is that monasticism should be a point of unity in all aspects of life and not something that divides. It is the source of spirituality and piety in the Church, and we need to remember also that we have many common monastic fathers whom we revere and honor in both of our Orthodox families. Great fathers such as St. Anthony the Great, St. Macarius the Great, St. Pacomius, Syrian fathers such as St. Ephraim, also St. John Cassian, and St. Palladius, just to name a few. We really have so much to unite us in monasticism, and it is these roots that can bring our traditions closer together and unite us once again by God's grace. These fathers that came from different backgrounds were also willing to learn from each other. We see, for example, St. John Cassian and St. Palladius coming to Egypt to learn monasticism at its source. The lives of these great men and their sayings deepened the spirituality of Christian life. They were also a source of inspiration to many, who repented at reading or hearing about them. One famous example was that of St. Augustine, who was deeply affected by the biography of St. Anthony that was written by St. Athanasius, the 20th Pope of Alexandria. Monasticism should also be a source of strength and a torchbearer for correct teaching and orthodoxy. It preserves the true faith for us and fights against heresies. The monastic fathers did not remain quiet when it came to heresy. They looked for unity amongst Christians, but this unity was built upon unity and oneness in faith. This was exactly the case with St. Anthony the Great. He defended the faith against the Arian heretics. It was said that, He was well acquainted with their schisms, and he even exhorted every man to withdraw himself from them, for he used to say, neither in the discussion of them nor in their result is there any advantage. When the Aryans came to spread their poison in the desert, he cast them out from the mountain like the other wild beasts and vipers. He even went down to Alexandria to defend the Orthodox faith against the Arian heresy. Of course, he was so well-known and respected all over the world, and his words had their influence and confirmed the people in sound doctrine. It was similar with Abba Agathon, who was willing to accept any type of ridicule and insult except to be called the heretic at being called the heretic he replied i am not a heretic so they asked him tell us why you accepted everything we cast you but repudiated this last insult he replied the first accusations i took to myself for this is good for my soul but heresy is separation from God. Now I have no wish to be separated from God, he said. If we look for a moment at some sad history, we see that many monks had to persevere and struggle through many tribulations. Many emperors attempted to force Coptic monks to accept the decrees of the Council of Chalcedon. One such famous monk was St. Samuel the Confessor. Ottomionados, in his book titled Monks and Monasteries of the Egyptian Desert, says, St. Samuel, whose theological activities and especially his keen opposition to the decrees of Chalcedon, called forth violent opposition from Cyrus, who tried to impose the decrees of Chalcedon upon the monks. St. Samuel was imprisoned and beaten, and after severe questioning, was about to be publicly flogged when the civic authorities saved his life, Ottomeonado says. If we now move to the current situation, remember we we're speaking 1998 when this paper was presented, but a lot of this is still relevant. We see that monasticism is still playing a positive role in leading us towards unity and reconciliation. Several of the official dialogues between the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox took place at St. Bishoy Monastery in the ancient site of Scythus, Wedin Natrun, which dates back to the 4th century. So monasticism today still regards that working towards reconciling and sharing the same faith as vital to its survival. It is also of great importance to note the work of his Holiness Pope Shenouda III of Blessed Memory, the previous Pope and Patriarch of Alexandria. His Holiness worked so hard in planning, attending, and participating in many of these dialogues. In fact, under his leadership, the Coptic Orthodox Church was the first church to accept the agreed statement of 1990, signed in champesy Switzerland, between the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox Churches. He took the subject of unity seriously, and again this is stemming from his monastic roots, he was a great theologian, and he did not only gain a Bachelor of Theology from the seminary in Cairo, but did extensive reading and research while he was a hermit at Surian Monastery in Scythus Wed in Natrun. Even though he was the Pope of Alexandria and Patriarch of the See of St. Mark, he did not forget for one single instant that he was a monk first. That is why he spent approximately half of each week at the monastery of St. Bishoi. This time was spent in contemplation, prayer, and writing. And from the Coptic Orthodox point of view, we have no reservations with regards to unity with the Eastern Orthodox. The Coptic monks as well as all of the Coptic community are well aware of all of the agreements that have taken place so far. In the official magazine of the Coptic Orthodox Church, named El Karaza, or Preaching, His Holiness Pope Shenouda III always published the latest news on the dialogue. Also, many articles were written to explain the process of the dialogue and the decisions that have been taken by our holy sinners with disregard. I can say with confidence that our people are for this unity, and so are all of the monks. A note here that there are currently varying views on this, and maybe some people um, have some questions about the dialogue and about this unity, and so more discussion needs to take place. I know that I myself am waiting this blessed day that I can partake of the Eucharist with my brothers in the brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church. When I was serving our parish in Hawaii, before I was ordained as a bishop, I had very good relations with the Greek Orthodox priest, Father George Bessinus. Since we did not yet have our own church, on many occasions he would allow us to use his church for our services. It was a relationship of love and mutual respect. One day he invited me to attend the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. It was a very moving experience for me. I still remember it, and I enjoyed it so much. But at the same time, it was such a painful experience for me because I could not share in the body and blood of Christ with him. I pray and hope that this day will come soon, when we can be fully united in Christ, the Incarnate Logos. Another note I would like to add here, for 2020, is that His Holiness Pope, Tawadros II, has continued to strengthen the relationships with the Eastern Orthodox Churches, and of particular note, is the ongoing dialogue with the Russian Orthodox Church, and this dialogue is led by his Eminence metropolitan Serapion, metropolitan of Los Angeles and Southern California and Hawaii, and assisted by his grace bishop Korollos, who is the general bishop in Los Angeles, responsible for education. Now we see the monastic tradition playing a significant role in strengthening these relationships and a better understanding of each other through regular monastic visits to Russia and Egypt, through bishops, nuns and monks visiting both countries. These visits have changed many misconceptions on both sides. Another important point I wish to make that is evident today is the effect of monasticism to unite people of non-Orthodox background. Recently, meaning back in 1998, I was reading a wonderful article by Tim Vivian, a great monastic scholar. His paper was titled, um, the, Mon- the Monasteries of Wedi Natrun Egypt, A Monastic and Personal Journey. And that was published this month, that was March 1998, in the American Benedictine Review Journal. And I hope, uh, hopefully in uh, December this year, that I may have an episode and a dialogue on monasticism and desert spirituality with Reverend Professor Tim Vivian. At the end of uh, his article, Tim Vivian states... For the first time in my eight-year monastic journey, I was connecting what I had learned from books with what I could study in the field and hold in my hands. For only the second time in my academic career, I was teaching the subject I care about the most, and I saw monastic spirituality— connect with my young students, visiting the Coptic monasteries of the Wadi Natrun, showed me the many strengths and beauties of ongoing monastic tradition. I marveled at the monastic renaissance taking place in Egypt. I could only admire these monks and lay Christians who devote themselves to Christ in the face of persistent adversity, end of quote. Really beautiful words. Perhaps monasticism will also play an important role in restoring the whole Christian church to one faith, one flock for one shepherd, who is our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. I think if we as Copts, and I am speaking as a monk also, if there are any concerns we have With regards to reconciliation, it would be with regards to the monks of Mount Athos and some traditionalist groups within the Eastern Orthodox Church. The document titled Declaration of Mount Athos Against Reunion with the Non-Chalcedonians concerns me somewhat. To go through it in detail is beyond this paper, but let me mention a few brief points. In this document, the Eastern monks are demanding the unconditional acceptance of the decrees of the Ecumenical Councils and of their sacredness and universality by the non chalcedonians Well, first of all, we were not even part of these councils to begin with and did not take part in the decision-making so how can we just accept them as such? In a paper by his eminence Metropolitan Bishoy of the Mieta of Blessed Memory, the former co-president of the official dialogue, he stated the following. The Orthodox interpretation of the teachings of the four latter councils, or the four later councils, of the Eastern Orthodox are the same as the doctrine of the Oriental Orthodox who have always refused both the Nestorian and Eutychian heresies. The two families are called to reinforce each other in their struggle against heresies and to complete each other as one body of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior." The traditionalists from the Eastern Orthodox, they continue to say things like denouncing the joint commission of the dialogue, naming Saints Dioscorus, Jacob, and Severus as heretics, and stating that there is radical disagreement between the joint commission and the teachings of the Holy Fathers. The document also states, has there not been a scandalous deception in the information given to the people of God, end of quote. They are also in opposition to the removal of any texts which degrade or attack the Oriental Orthodox in Eastern liturgical books. I feel that this type of spirit on the part of our brothers, the Eastern Orthodox monks of Mount Athos, will only divide even further and delay reconciliation between the two families of Orthodoxy. I know that committees have been set up to produce books to explain and clarify the positions and teachings of both families of Orthodoxy. I hope that these books will be a great source of help in clarifying the agreed statements even further and the move towards unity. I believe that one Other important way by which monks from the different traditions can come to understand each other is through an exchange program. Monks from Mount Athos could spend some time in Oriental monasteries in Egypt, Syria, or Armenia, and also perhaps some Oriental Orthodox monks to spend time becoming familiar with monastic tradition on Mount Athos. And this may help to bridge this rift that has lasted for 15 long centuries now. And as I explained earlier, in 2020 and uh, in the last few years, that this is now has been happening, especially with the Russian Orthodox Church and the Coptic Orthodox Church and the many exchanges that are taking place um, with the full agreement of Pope. Tawadros II, and also um, with the uh, Russian uh, Patriarch, uh, Patriarch Kirill. There is also another group named the Center for Traditionalist Orthodox Studies who attack the Oriental Orthodox churches severely, especially the Coptic Orthodox Church. They call us all sorts of names, such as the non Chalcedonian heretics. And the Copts are monophysites and thus heretics. Their mysteries are invalid, and should they join the Orthodox Church, they must be received as non-Orthodox, they say. Very harsh words indeed. that can be very damaging and destroying, and are nowhere in the spirit of ecumenism that we are living in today, well, in the 1990s and even in our day and age. Such a group may be a minority, but they certainly have a loud voice and can harm relationships between the average person who does not know better. I do not wish to harp on the negatives, but they are certainly a concern for us. Please remember also that quote from Abba Agathon, but heresy is separation from God. Now I have no wish to be separated from God. End of quote. None of us could wish this upon anyone to be separated from God, yet such people are insinuating such an idea. Father George Dragas from the Greek Orthodox Church, in a paper titled The Reproachment of the Orthodox and Orientals, also thinks that the reason for such negative reactions is lack of information. He states, quote, In my opinion, However, such negative reactions are primarily due to a lack of information on the recent history of constructive contacts between the two Orthodox families of churches, and especially on the very significant theological classifications and agreements which have been made from both sides in many consultations, both unofficial and official as well as in new constructive and fundamental theological researches by individual theologians. End of quote. Another important point that Father George Dragas makes in his paper is that in the teachings of St. Athanasius and St. Cyril of Alexandria, we have, common fo- we have a common foundation for modern dialogue. He says, it should be pointed out that Orthodox share with the Oriental Orthodox certain unquestionable patristic authorities. They share common fathers and common patristic conciliar decisions. The great Alexandrian fathers, St. Athanasius and St. Cyril, as well as the great Cappadocian, St. Basil, St. Gregory the theologian, St. Gregory of Nyssa and St. John Chrysostom, and also the first three ecumenical councils, are wholeheartedly accepted by them. Is this not sufficient ground for orthodox reproachment? Indeed, I believe that these particular authorities provide all that is necessary for orthodox advance and consolidation." Finally then, We pray and hope that through the work of the Holy Spirit in his church that the monastic tradition can play an important role in bringing this dialogue to complete fruition through the lifting of the anathemas and the returning of one glorious undivided Orthodox Church of God. I hope you found this presentation of benefit and to see the important role that monasticism can play in the reconciliation between the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox Churches. I would love to hear your comments and suggestions. Until next week, be inspired by the Holy Spirit.
1: Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsoriel.org. And always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.